please turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas and were able to enjoy uh, the Christmas time, thinking about the Lord. And uh, this this week we've been thinking about love. We uh, have been asking ourselves three questions over this week. Last Sunday we asked the question, does God love me? And we looked at Malachi chapter 1. And we answered that question, yes, indeed, God does love us, although sometimes we don't understand what that word love means. But when we rightly understand what love is, we realize, yes, God does love us. And then we asked the question Christmas Eve, do I value love? Do I rightly understand the value of love that uh, God has uh, allowed us to experience? And then finally, we're asking this morning, do I love others? And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13 again. And so uh, we can turn there to 1 Corinthians 13. And I'll, I'll just read, uh, I'll just read the, the first, um, I'll read a little bit shorter passage here. I'm gonna, I'll start in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 7. And so you may stand with me if you would. And I'll read, uh, begin in verse 1. But we're really going to look at verses 4 through 7. This morning, here's what Paul writes. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then we come into verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You may be seated. May God encourage us through uh, his word this morning. And Father, we do just pray this morning as we look at your word that you would help us to rightly understand love and uh, to see you as our great source of love. And we would be, uh, uh, that we would be uh, quick uh, to repent in areas where we have not demonstrated love, that your enabling work of of the Holy Spirit working through the power uh, that you supply would allow us to experience the, the love that's only found as we are in Christ and help us to love others well. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So we're here at this, this last question. Uh, do I love others? Looking here at 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, we might be tempted, of course, to, to answer the question kind of quickly. Well, no, I, I know I don't love others the way that I, I should. Maybe I, I don't uh, love others perfectly, but I kind of try to, to love others. But a passage like 1 Corinthians 13, I think, helps us understand the, the depths of our failure when, when it comes to love. The, the depths of our inability to love as God calls us to love. This is, uh, on the one hand, a very familiar passage 
you hear this this uh, passage sung on even uh, secular songs about love uh, alluded to at least you see it in uh, the popular culture I think Prince Charles read this passage at Diana's funeral you hear it at weddings probably over 50% of the weddings that I uh, attend have some allusion to 1 Corinthians 13 and so on the one hand it's a very a familiar passage. We might be tempted to, to read through it hurriedly and think to ourselves, well, this is a lovely sentiment. But on the other hand, uh, this is a passage that I think we don't understand the depths of the love that God is calling us to. We're familiar with the words, but we don't meditate on, on what exactly Paul is calling us to here. When I was in high school, I had the opportunity to, to look at 1 Corinthians 13 uh, more slowly. I had uh, gotten in trouble at, at home, and I don't remember exactly what I did, but my dad decided that uh, my conduct was not as loving as it, it should have been, and so uh, he asked me, and I'm using the word ask there in the loosest possible sense of the word, uh, he asked me to memorize 1 Corinthians 13 and to, to meditate on that very deeply uh, before I could uh, have my car back. And so I... I memorized 1 Corinthians 13 and was able to spend a lot of time thinking through what uh, Paul was saying here. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do that this morning. I'm not going to ask you to memorize it necessarily. But I do want to do something else my dad had me do. He asked me to read the passage, these verses in particular, and insert my own name in the passage and, and see how it sounded, right? So I'm going to do that. I'm going to read the, the, the verses again, but I'm going to insert my own name where the word love appears, and you do the same kind of in your head, not out loud, uh, but the same in your head as, as we read these verses. Let me read it again and, and see how it sounds. So beginning in verse 4, Daniel is patient and kind. Daniel does not envy or boast. Daniel is not arrogant or rude. Daniel does not insist on his own way. Daniel is not irritable or resentful. Daniel does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Daniel bears all things. Daniel believes all things, hopes all things. Daniel endures all things. Now, how, how does that sound to you? Well, to me, it sounds off, right? Like, like that doesn't sound quite right. I, I know that I don't love in this, in this way. This doesn't accurately describe me in and of myself. This is not the, the type of love that I possess. You know, this isn't a type of love that I just need to, to dig deeper and, and exercise this type of love to others. You know, you know what happens if you dig deeper in me? You just find more me, and I am not a loving person like this. Here's the main idea that I want us to meditate on this morning in the, in the time that we have. The main idea that I want us to think about is this, that the, the love that God calls me to show to others cannot come from me. The type of love that God calls me to show to others in my life can't come from me. This, this type of love that's patient, that's kind, that doesn't envy, that doesn't boast, this isn't a love that I can find within myself. This is a love that has to, to be external, that someone has to, to give me, to enable me to love like this. And so what we're going to do this morning is, is very simple. We're just going to, to take these, these characteristics of love that, that Paul gives and just ask some, some simple questions to evaluate our, our own love. Okay, So we're going to ask 11 questions here uh, about our love, and we're going to see that this type of love doesn't come from us. It can only come when we are in Christ. So here's the first question. First question, am I patient 
and kind. Paul says love is patient. Love is kind. Am I, am I patient? Am I kind? These first two characteristics of love are stated positively. There's, there's this, this, this first word that he uses here means long-suffering. It's, it's the opposite of a, a short-tempered person. This is a person who's long-suffering. They're, they're patient, he says, and they're, they're, they're kind. They're a person who continues to, to operate in such a way that they're trying to benefit another person in a relationship. Now, a person here who is, who is Paul, Paul is saying, a person here is a person who does some, some things passively and actively. So, so passively, they're, they're patient. They're not responding in an unloving way. They, they continue to, to be patient. And then actively, they're, they're showing kindness. So, am, am I patient and kind? Well, a person who's loving is patient and kind. A person who claims to love is going to say, okay, here's, here's a person who has, has done something to me. Maybe they've, um, maybe they've hurt me financially. Or maybe it's a sibling who, is, who has acted in a way that's very mean to me. And, and so what do I do? There, there's two aspects here. First of all, I'm, I'm patient. I, I, I continue to, to, um, to, to suffer the, 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 the perceived injustice to me. And then secondly, I, I actively continue to be kind to them. I continue to act in such a way that I hope that they're, they're benefited by our relationship. That's what a person who's, who's loving does. Am I patient to my kind? Absolutely not. But Christ is, right? Paul in Romans 2 would, would show us the relationship between patience and kindness and how God exhibits those characteristics. He says in Romans 2, 4, do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And so in Christ, not in myself, but in Christ, I continue to act in ways that are going to benefit others. I, I continue to be kind and patient. I, I continue in Christ to do the things that are going to be beneficial to them, not taking into account wrongs suffered. That's a first question to meditate. Second question to meditate on, do I envy? Do I envy? The word that Paul is using here in the context of First Corinthians describes not just wanting a possession that someone else has. In other words, it's not just like wanting someone's TV or, or the nice shoes that they have. The Corinthians, as we go through the epistle to the Corinthians, we see that the Corinthians struggled with envy. And it it was envy not just wanting a possession, but it was, it was broader than that. It was looking at a person and seeing a status that they had or some sort of ability that they had, some sort of um, good thing that was happening to them and said, I, I want that to be me. I'm, I'm jealous of the, the status or the life that they have. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 calls the Corinthians to task on this. So do I envy? Do I envy? If I'm a person who's loving, I, I don't envy. What this means is it means I, I don't look at my life and my life circumstances and compare them with another person and say, okay, I, I wish I had what that person has with, with kind of a sense of discouragement. Maybe, uh, maybe this is something we can struggle with at, at Christmas time, especially we're, we're with family and friends or we're, we're at parties and we see what, what other people have. We see the, the relationships that exist within a family or we see the, the, the type of vacation that someone else is able to take around Christmas or we see the, the presents that some other kids got and there's a sense of envy. I, I, wish, I wish that they didn't have those things. I wish I had the, the, those, that the status that they did, that, that life that they do. 
Do I envy? Absolutely, right? I'm not loving, but Christ is, right? And so in Christ, I, I can not envy as well. Listen, listen to what First Timothy says about who Christ is. We see that Christ, as God, is the giver of all good things, right? He's not a person who begrudges what others have. Christ is the giver of all good things. Remember in First Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus. He says, keep the commandment unstained and free from the reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, listen to this, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And so, in Christ, not in my flesh, but in Christ, I I can avoid envy. Now, there's some fleshly ways to avoid envy, right? Sometimes I've heard people say this. They said, okay, you know, I I try not to envy because when I see a person with, maybe I see a person with a lot of wealth, I think about, well, they, they don't have a good family life. Or I see a person who has a job that I want. I say, well, they have to work more hours than I do. And so, in other words, a person is, is avoiding envy, not by really avoiding envy, but thinking, okay, I've got it better than, than they do in some ways. But that's not a, a spiritual way to avoid envy. What's, what's a spirit-filled way to avoid envy? If I love. As a Christian... I find joy in the good things that happen to other people. I recognize that as as other people receive good things, joyful things, the status in life or or different things, I say, okay, I'm I'm excited about those things because I know that that God is the giver of all things. That The things that other people receive point to the kindness and grace of God. And that's how a person who truly loves avoids envy. Third question to meditate on this morning do i do i boast do i boast the word here in the context of corinthians describes a person who has a desire not just to brag about themselves but a desire to really be at the center of attention it's more than wanting people to, to see the good things that they've accomplished or the good things that they have a person who is a boastful person wants to be at the the center of of life do I boast? Well, if I'm a loving person, I don't. If I'm a loving person, I cannot give of myself, which is the definition of love that we've talked about, and demand for myself at the same time. I'm not bragging about how great I am. I'm not wanting others to recognize and applaud my accomplishments. But I'm also not contriving ways to keep the attention on myself. I don't find value just in friends who will put me and my needs at the center of their lives. Now, do I boast? Absolutely. In and of myself, my flesh, I'm not loving, but Christ is loving. Christ endures willing humiliation. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so in, in Christ, in Christ, not in myself, but in Christ, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with his greatness and his kindness to me. All boasting seems foolish. It seems ridiculous. 
Why draw attention to myself when I could draw attention to Christ? Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 16, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's, he's the head of the body, the church. He's, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so in and of myself, am I, am I loving? No. Am I boastful? Yes. But in Christ, I have the ability to exalt him and point others to him as well. A fourth question for us to meditate on this morning as we think about love. Am I arrogant? Am I arrogant? And this is obviously related to the, the previous question. But, but here it, it, it refers not just to this idea of wanting to be at the center of attention, but, but a sense of superiority, an inflated sense of one's own self-worth. It's a huge problem within the Corinthian church. Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 talks about their boasting. Does it in chapter 5 and chapter 8 as well? Am, am I arrogant? Well, not if I'm a loving person. I don't view myself as superior to others. It's foolish, right? I was reading an article about... Um, about embarrassing, embarrassing conversations that people had had. And uh, one, one conversation was about a, a man who was arguing with a, a woman. And he was, he was telling her about uh, this, this policy position. And, and he cited this article. And he's going on and on about how this article destroys her argument. And she says, well, actually, uh, I wrote that article. And you're misunderstanding it, right? As we think about ourselves, as we, as we think about our own abilities, we, we often have a, 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 a miscalculation concerning our own importance. And a person who's loving is not arrogant. Am I arrogant? Absolutely. I'm not loving, but Christ is. He's, he's the source of all good things, as we've mentioned. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Uh, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you've received, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And so in Christ, in Christ, I repent of my pride. I'm humble. I'm thankful. Here's a fifth question to, to meditate on. Am I rude? Am I rude? Now, now what does Paul mean here? The, the word doesn't just mean rude, like improper manners. It's not like I'm in line and you're, or you're in line, I, I cut in front of you. It's not just talking about bad, bad manners in a, a social sh- situation. It's not like forgetting which fork goes on which side of the plate. It's, it's more than that. The, the, the King James Version, maybe some of you memorized this passage in the King James. It says, love doth not behave itself unseemly, which is a good translation if, if a little stilted, right? It means to, to behave shamefully, to be disgraceful. Earlier in the letter in chapter 7, Paul used the word to describe a father being careful to protect the, the name and the reputation of his daughter. So am I rude? That is, am I, am I, do I behave shamefully or do I, do I disgrace others? Am, am I rude? Not if I'm loving. If I'm a loving person, I'm not going to behave in a way that's disgraceful to others. My actions are, are going to be to, to make them look good, not bad. So, for example, say I'm a young man in the church dating a young woman and I, I, I claim to love her. What, what am I going to do? I'm going to 
I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to treat her in a disgraceful way. I'm going to be doing all that I can to protect her reputation. I'm going to be careful about where we're seen and where we go. Or, or let's say I'm an older woman in the church. What does it look like for me to be rude, to, to be shameful? Uh, it means that I'm going to be careful with my speech about other people. I'm going to make sure that I don't look others, make others look bad. I'm not going to be a gossip. I'm going to be careful. Now, am I rude in my flesh? Absolutely. I'm not loving, but Christ is loving. Far from allowing us to experience shame, Christ delivers us from shame. He bears our griefs and our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In Christ, I'm not rude. I give the gospel hope to the hurting. Sixth question here to meditate on. Do I insist on my own way? Do I insist on my own way? The meaning of the word that Paul uses here is is the idea of of self-seeking. Other translations use a phrase, is not selfish or does not insist on its own way. Now, Now, do I insist on my own way? Well, not if I'm a loving person. This this can be played out in a variety of ways, right? But what it essentially means is, is the amount of space in my brain that is consumed with myself needs to be drastically reduced, right? Marriage is a great, a uh, great um, uh, location in which we can. Uh, learn about how selfish we actually are, right? There are so many opportunities in a marriage relationship for us to insist on our own way. Whenever we come into a marriage relationship, it's kind of interesting, was Wendy and I entered a marriage relationship, I was amazed at how many, how many ways I had of doing different things and how, um, and how different they were to the, the ways that other people might do them. So, for example, there's a way to make the bed. There's a way to set the alarm clock. There's a, a routine to the morning. There's types of uh, trips you'd want to take on vacation. And, and Whitney often had sometimes different opinions about what the, the best way to do those things were. And learning about love says, okay, I, I learned that my way doesn't have to be the way that this, this goes down. And the same is true in church relationships, right? As, as we think about living in relationships with one another, a person who's loving doesn't insist on their own way. Now, do I insist on my own way? Of course, absolutely. In the flesh, I'm not loving, but Christ is. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2. He says, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. 
And so in Christ, I have this, this same type of, of selflessness. I don't insist on my own way, but I, I consider not only my own interests, but also the interests of others and, and humble myself. In, in Christ, my thoughts about myself decrease, and my thoughts about you increase. Seventh question here to, to meditate on. Am I irritable? The word here means, means easily angered. Am I irritable? Well, not if I'm a loving person. If I'm a loving person, my family wouldn't describe me as, as irritable, as always on edge, as, as quick-tempered. People who get into a disagreement with me at school or at work or about politics wouldn't call me an irritable person. My speech would be characterized by, by not asserting my own rights, but by being gracious, aggressive dialogue, hurtful words. Those sorts of things would not be a part of my vocabulary if I'm a loving person. Christ is loving. Christ is not irritable. 1 Peter 2, 23, Peter writes, When Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In Christ, I'm not easily angered. I'm constantly mindful that in the story of the two servants that Jesus tells who were each forgiven debts, I'm constantly mindful that I am the servant in that story who was forgiven the greater debt. And so I'm not irritable, I'm, I'm gracious. Another question, eight, number eight here. Am I resentful? Am I resentful? The word that Paul uses carries with it some of the, 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 the previous idea as well. So there's, when, when a person is wronged, there's, there's a noting of that wrong. And so am I resentful? Well, not if I love you. You know, th think about a conflict that you've been in recently. Maybe in a, in a conflict where someone, someone's been upset at you or you've been at, upset at, at someone else. If you're a resentful person and I were to ask you about that conflict, I'd say, hey, hey tell me about what that person did to you. A, a person who's, who's struggling with resentment would be able to tell you in great detail the ways in which they've been wronged. So maybe I, maybe I feel like I've been wronged by another person. You say, hey, tell me about what happened there. And I say, well, let me tell you. And I can tell you 18 things that that person did. And sometimes, you know, I've, sometimes whenever uh, I've been in a, uh, a conflict with someone, I've, I've found myself taking notes. Like, this is what I'm going to say next time I talk to this person. And I'm going to remind them about this and remind them about this. And, and I look at that and I think, that, that is not... If the intent of that is to prove that I'm right, the intent of that is, is not loving, right? That's the characteristic of a person who's, who's resentful. It's a hard way to live. It's not a loving way to live. It's not a joyful way to live. Am I resentful in the flesh? Absolutely. I'm not loving. But Christ is. Romans 5 tells us that where sin increased grace, God's grace increased all the more. He doesn't take into account the, the wrongs that, that we've done. In Christ, what happens? In Christ, I, I can love you. In Christ, when you wrong me, some, something different can happen. Instead of me saying, okay, you've wronged me in these 18 ways, and until we can have a relationship with one another, you need to acknowledge all these things, and, and you need to make restitution in these, in these areas. What can happen when a person loves and is in Christ? What, what can happen? In Christ, I can do a couple things that I couldn't do apart from Christ. 
Firstly, I, I can put the wrong that you've done in context. Let's say that you've done something terrible to me, right? If I'm in Christ, not only do I not resent, but, but I put that wrong in context. I say, okay, again, I am this, the slave who's been forgiven much. I'm, I'm the tax collector who needs to, to, to beat his own chest asking for God's forgiveness. I put your wrong to me in the context of my wrong to God. And, and it, it's hard to be resentful to you, isn't it? Secondly, in, in Christ, I, I can begin to ascribe the best possible motives for, for what you've done if, if you've done something to me. I can say, okay, you know what? Um, th- they've done this, but, but I know that maybe there's something else going on in their life. Maybe there's some, another situation going on in their family. And so I, I don't have all the facts. And so in Christ, I'm not resentful because I'm, I'm believing the, the, the best possible motives for whatever our, our conflict is. And then in Christ also, I can, I can have a heart that desires reconciliation, that, that desperately wants someone that I love to, to be reconciled with me if there's any sort of breach in our relationship. That's what a person who's loving, not in their flesh, but a person who has the love of Christ is able to do. I think the I think good things about you. I think about the, the good aspects of your, your personality and your character. I say, okay, you know what? Maybe the, and maybe you do this with me. Maybe you say, okay, Daniel has, has harmed me in this way. This is something that Daniel has done to me. But then because you're in Christ, you have the ability to do what? You say, okay, here's the wrong that he's done. And now here's the context of who we are in Christ and, and the good aspects of our, our relationship. A person who's loving has the ability in Christ to not resent. Uh, Question number nine, do I rejoice in wrongdoing or do I rejoice with the truth? of the words that Paul uses here. He's describing pleasure and the, the wrong things that others do, perhaps. The, and, and then he's talking about the, the contrast between rejoicing in, in wrongdoing and, and versus rejoicing in the, the truth of the gospel. And so the, I think the idea here is when, when I encounter another person who's sinning, do I, do I take some sort of delight in that? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a person who, um, who I've, I've, I've had some some concerns about before, and now they've done something wrong, and all and it's exposed, all can see it. And, and I, do I take some sort of perverse pleasure in that, or in humility, do I say I, I want them to be walking the truth? I'm not excited when people I love fall, when people who've wronged me are exposed. I don't, I don't feel a surge of joy that I've been proven right. Now, do I rejoice in wrongdoing in the flesh? Absolutely. Do I rejoice with the truth? Not always. If I'm not loving, but Christ is. And so in Christ, I proclaim the gospel to you in life. Tenth question here. Do I bear and endure all things? Now, I'm combining verse 7 here. He says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I think the first and the last Characteristics of love go together here, and the middle two go together. And so, do I do I bear all things and endure all things? What Paul is describing here is, is in the in the present. As I look at you in the present, and I, and I love you, the person that, that I love, I'm, I'm going to continue to persevere in that love toward them. Similar to the first two characteristics we looked at. In other words, there's there's not a point in our relationship 
where you're sinning against me and I say, that's it. I'm done. Now, let me give you a word of caution. Sometimes uh, evangelical Christians have misinterpreted this passage. This doesn't mean I just allow you to do harmful things to me, right? So let's say you're a you're a wife in a, a marriage relationship and your husband is, is abusing you and, and you don't say, well, you know what? He's, he's done these, these things to me, but I'm just going to, because I love him, I'm just going to bear it. No, no. You, you call other people into that marriage relationship and, you know, if there's been, uh, for example, physical abuse, you, you, you call uh, the authorities and you allow, you allow the, the government to, to intervene here to, to protect you. That's not what, bearing all things doesn't just mean allowing someone to harm you. But what it means is saying, okay, I'm going to, to do the things for you uh, and continue to love you in the context of the relationship. I'm going to continue to want good for you. I'm not going to, to stop loving you. I'm not going to st- stop desiring good things to happen to you. Now, am I loving? Do I bear and endure all things? No. But Christ does. He endures and he bears all things. Hebrews 12 talks about how he endured the cross. And so in Christ, in Christ, like him, I can bear and endure all things. And the final question here, final question, do I believe and hope all things? The meaning of the word that Paul, the words that Paul uses here, he's not referring to just naively believing the best about someone. He's not saying, well, there's no such thing as a bad person. That's, that's not what he's saying here. He's continuing to believe and hope in Christ. He's saying, okay, I, I continue to believe that, that God is going to, by his grace, if, he, if he's merciful here, continue to, to work in this person's life. So do I believe and I hope all things? Well, yes, if, if not in my flesh, but in Christ I do. Philippians 1.6 says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so in, in Christ, what happens? Uh, you continue to believe as, as we are in a relationship together. You say, okay, I, I continue to believe and hope that God is going to do amazing things in your life. Even whenever you've, you've done wrong to me, I'm going to continue to believe that God is still going to work within you and care for you and allow you to grow in holiness. And I do the same for you. This type of love is, is more than just some sentimental Fancy, isn't it? It's not just some nice thoughts about this emotion that we have. This is a a commitment of the will by God's enabling grace uh, to care for one another. It sounded very odd to put my own name in the place of love, right? But there, there's something very off about that. But, but what if we insert Christ's name there, right? Christ is patient and kind. Christ does not envy or boast. Christ is not arrogant or rude. Christ does not insist on his own way. Christ is not irritable or resentful. Christ does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Christ bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It sounds perfect because Christ is is love. God is love. And so the love that God calls me to have to show to others cannot come from myself. Only by God's grace can this type of love exist and I can only have this type of love if I'm in Christ. How does a person come to be in Christ? We come in Christ by simply placing our faith in Jesus Christ 
for the forgiveness of our sins, recognizing our great need for him and our inability to save ourselves. And I encourage you this morning, if you've not placed your faith in Christ, uh, to do so even now, trusting him for, for salvation. And then if you have, I encourage you this morning to, to ask God to, to convict you of the ways in which you need to grow in love by his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for how, by your grace, we have the ability to love and we have the ability to experience the, the joy of being in relationship with you. Father, please protect us. Please grow us. And please help us to find our joy in you and in you alone. And I pray this in your name. Amen.